In the beginning was the world. Oh, I see. You think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? It's just a You think Jesus was some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. Today on the line we're chatting with Jan Buchanan. Now Jan is involved with Youth with a Mission in South Africa and uh, I got in contact with her through a friend of mine who works in Christian Radio in uh, Gladstone and uh, uh, it's uh, great to have her on the line today. How are you Jan? I'm fine thanks, good to talk with you. Now it's uh, always good in the start of an interview to find out a little bit about uh, someone's family history and background. So where were you born and raised and uh, how did you uh, come to faith uh, in your early years? I was born and raised in Gympie in Queensland and um, I was brought up in a, a Christian family and I came to know the Lord when I was about oh, 12 I suppose which was a long time ago because I'm 61 now um, but unfortunately in my early 20s I ran away from the Lord for quite a number of years and I ca- only came back to to obeying Him when I was about 47, 48. Wow, okay. And, and what did you do for a career uh, in all those years? I was a teacher for many years, mm-hmm. uh, both in Queensland but also in, overseas. We lived in um, uh, England for a number of years, three and a half years, and I was teaching in uh, Kent College in uh, Kent for a while. Um, but also I was teaching in China for 11 years. Wow. And were you a Christian when you were in China? I actually came back to the Lord my second year back in China. So how did that happen? Well, actually I had really started to mess up my life, um, you know, because I was very, very self-centered and just wanted things to be the best for myself. But unfortunately when you do that, um, you're out of God's plan and um, my marriage was uh, breaking up and, um, and I just experienced terrible, terrible despair, and that's when I recognized that I needed God's leading and God in my life. Now, we all know China, you know, is a communist nation, and and really, I mean, there's a massive underground church over there. Um, What did you do for church after you you came back to the Lord in China? I was in Shanghai, and there is a very big and very active um, evangelical um, church for foreigners over there, uh, Shanghai Christian Fellowship, and I became part of that. It's quite a large one. There are about... um, 2,000 people who were members of the church there. Wow. Well, I've, I've had the uh, privilege of having uh, Brother Yun speak at my church, and I got to interview him for History Makers as well. And I read the book The Heavenly Man years ago, and ever since I've just had such a heart uh, for the Chinese Christians. And they really are exp- experiencing revival in China, aren't they? They certainly are. And one of the exciting things that I was involved with over there was that um, we were able to introduce uh, at the Alpha course in Shanghai, um, one of my friends in the school that I was working with in Shanghai uh, flew two of the Communist Party officials over to London to meet Nicky Gumbel, who started the Alpha course, and the Communist Party officials gave us permission to start Alpha in Shanghai, but it was only with foreign passport holders. But at that stage, there were over 500,000 of them in Shanghai, so that was quite a big ministry there. So did you see a lot of people come to the Lord through the Alpha Course? Yes, we certainly did, including some Buddhist monks. Um, I had a member of the Shanghai Symphony Orchestra who was part of my uh, Alpha group. And, um, well, he actually was a Christian but was was really 
um, getting to know the basis of his faith, but he used to share a lot of the things that we did with his um, partners in the Shanghai Symphony Orchestra. Now, we hear a lot of stories about the persecuted church in China. Did you see a lot of evidence of Christians being persecuted? No, I didn't, but I actually didn't really get involved with the the uh, underground church at all. One of the reasons is that I've got red hair, and it's fairly obvious <laughs> a person who's a, a foreigner, you know, goes to something like that. You have to be very careful because you can put them into danger. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, I do know that in the church that I went to... Um, in the mornings, we shared it with the, the Three Self Church, which is the legal um, local Chinese church. And when you walk into the church, you see there are a lot of Bibles there, and you think, oh, Bibles are freely available in China. But in actual fact, you can't take any of the Bibles home. They say, no, you can come to church if you want to read the Bible. Wow, isn't that interesting? Well, I, I heard a, uh, a missionary say that uh, he reckons Mao Zedong uh, was the biggest revivalist in China's history. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he taught everyone to worship him, to read the little red book, Yes. And to gather together and uh, and read his little red book together, and then when he passed away, uh, they had no one to worship, and so when anyone became a Christian, they knew what to do. They knew to read the Bible, and they knew to worship Jesus, and and uh, they just had to transfer their worship from Mao Zedong to Jesus. And I thought that's a, quite an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Yes, uh, I met a very interesting man from Hong Kong who was leading a a group of people going on on missions into China. He was a a local Chinese man from Hong Kong, and he was a lawyer, and he actually used to take um, a lot of Christians from Hong Kong over to run um, business banquets in different different cities around China, and they would put a Christian at each table, and then um, halfway through the banquet, the Christians would just say, well, I'd just like to share with you how God is blessing my business in Hong Kong. And then he'd just share various things, bringing in, you know, how he was looking to the Lord for leading and how God was blessing. And there were many, many people came to the Lord through those banquets. Let's continue on your journey. So you spent 11 years in China, yes. involved in the Alpha Course and, and uh, part of a church there. What, what was the next part of your journey after that? Well, what actually happened during my period of uh, period in China was that um, in 2004, my husband and I were in Thailand for the Christmas holidays, and we were actually involved in the uh, Asian tsunami uh, the day after Christmas. The Boxing Day tsunami. Tell us what happened. Well, my husband and I had decided we wanted to go out on a canoe. We're, we rented a canoe, and um, we were at Krabi on the coastline, and we wanted to go about three or four kilometres along the coast past uh, really high cliffs uh, to the next little sandy beach, and we wanted to go snorkelling over the coral there, and I wanted to climb um, because it's a very, very famous place for climbing cliffs. There are people from all over the, the world who go to climb the cliffs there. And uh, we'd gone about a kilometre along the, the coastline, along the cliffs, when suddenly we heard a most amazing roar from the sea. It was like a freight train coming. And we turned and looked out to sea, and right on the horizon we could see a, a giant wave. I had no idea what it was. I, I think I'd heard the word tsunami, but I had no real conception of what it was. But um, in about oh, six or eight um, strokes of the paddle, it was on us. And my husband just said to me, off the canoe, because he'd been a a surfer. He was actually originally from South Africa. He was a surfer, and he knew a little bit about what to do. So uh, we dived off the canoe, and then the last thing he said to me was, don't try to ride it, dive under it. And my 
uh, instinct had been to try and stay on, on top of the wave. Um, but he knew that if that had happened, we were only about 30 metres away from the cliff face. And um, if I'd tried to stay on top, I would have been smashed into the cliff face and I just couldn't have survived. So we, we dived under that wave. Uh, it was, uh, they were increasing in waves. A lot of people talk about the tsunami and they think of one massive wave, but it was a whole series of waves getting bigger and bigger all the time. And um, we came up from the first wave. I just had time to hear my husband call out my name and then the second wave hit us. But that wave actually carried me behind an outcrop of rock. Um, the Bible says... Um, he will hide me in the cleft of the rock. And that's really what happened to me. Um, it was a, an outcrop at an angle, and I was swept behind that, and that actually protected me from the force of those waves. I heard later that the, the waves were traveling at um, 600 kilometers an hour. So they had incredible impact. So there were about um, six or so of those waves, and they came around behind the, the rocks and smashed me against the, the back of the rocks. So, um, you know, I did have a, a massive black eye and a lot of scratch, scratches and cuts, but it was an absolute miracle that I actually survived that at all. And tell us what happened to your husband. Um, unfortunately, my husband did die in the tsunami, yes. I didn't see him or, or our canoe again. Um, after that, uh, I came out from behind the rocks and I, I couldn't see any more tsunami waves coming. And so I tried to swim back where we'd come from, but... There was a tremendous current coming along and it just carried me along in the direction we had been going, about two kilometres along. And as I came along towards the, um, the next sandy beach that we had been going to, I, I was swimming across the current to get towards the sandy beach and then I thought to myself, oh, I think I've survived, I think I can make it. And just as I thought that, I heard the roar of the next tsunami wave coming. And because I was heading towards a sloping sandy beach, that's when I actually saw it sucking all the water out to make up the next tsunami wave. And as that happened, the coral started coming up out of the water and it was all exposed. And I realized that if I was taken in by this next wave, it would just tear me apart over the coral. So I just put my hand up high in the water like you do to for a lifesaver and I just shouted out at the top of my, my voice oh god save me and then my husband had told me to dive under the wave and so I dived under that one and it, uh, that one nearly nearly killed me it was incredibly strong but it was also full of all the coral and the rubbish that had, it had picked up from the seashore so um, but that wave actually picked me up and lifted me over the top of the coral and threw me on the sand on the other side um, I've got a a cut right across the palm of one hand which is two or three inches long but uh, and little t tiny coral cuts all over but you know I didn't even need to have one stitch it was just an incredible miracle um, I was flown out to hospital um, by helicopter and then uh, about two days later they found my husband's body I am just speechless. Uh, you, you have just described an incredible ordeal, and what a miracle that you survived through it all. Uh, an absolute miracle. What happened next for you? Um, I was evacuated back to Australia, and they, the Australian government um, very kindly provided uh, for my husband's body to be brought back to Australia. Um, then six weeks later, I went back to my job in China, um, I decided to stay there for about two and a half years. Um, but the day before 
the tsunami, I'd actually shared with my husband that I felt that God was calling me to go to Africa to work with um, AIDS orphans and, uh, you know, children in various needs there in Africa. And he just said to me, I will come with you. And I still felt that that was what God wanted me to do. So, um, but again, once you've had a trauma like that in your life, it's not a good idea to move immediately. It's better to, to get over the traumas, stay with your job and friends and so forth. So I stayed there another two and a half years. And then in 2007, I went over to uh, Worcester in South Africa. And can I just ask a, a personal question? Uh, how did you cope with the, the loss of your husband? Did you, did you go through counselling? Uh, was there a, a season of grieving? How long did it last for? Tell us what happened. Yes, I did have some counselling here in Australia, trauma counselling first of all. Then I also had very, very good Christian friends who were very, very supportive of me in South Africa. Sorry, in, in, um, in China. Um, and I've, I've had quite a bit of counselling from those and also a very, very supportive and loving family. But also, since I've been to South Africa and joined YWAM, I've had quite a bit of counselling there as well. There certainly is um, a period of grieving, um, but it's very important to know that um, God saved me for a purpose, that life was not over, and um, he had wonderful things for me in South Africa. Wow. You know, a lot of people after a disaster like the, the tsunami that you survived on Boxing Day 2004, a lot of people after that trauma of losing the husband would just give up, would just say, forget about it. I'm not going to make anything of my life from now on. I'm just, you know, it, it's, it can really just steal away people's destiny. But you, you decided to get up and dust yourself off and get on with the job that God had called you to do. So, so what did you do? So you spent a couple of years in China, and then tell us about the, the move to South Africa. Well, um, I decided to join a mission organization called Youth with a Mission, although I am the youth with a pension part of Youth with a Mission. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, I went over there, and they, uh, when you join them, you need to do some training. We do what's called a discipleship training school, which is three months of um, classroom training in discipleship, and then you go out um, doing missionary work for about two months in various communities. So that's what I did at first. Then um, I felt God was calling me to to work with families, uh, including small children. So I did uh, a, a school called the Family Ministry School. And then I found a coloured community, a mixed-race community, in desperate, desperate need. And I felt the Lord wanted me to get involved in uh, community development. So I went up to Durban and I did a community development school for three months up there. So that was all part of my training and now I've started up a community development project um, in Worcester which is about um, 110 kilometres northeast of Cape Town. Well I've had the privilege of uh, interviewing Lauren Cunningham and John Dawson before from uh, really? Youth with a Mission, incredible men of God and uh, you know the, the mission to you know preach the gospel to all nations is really uh, starting to be fulfilled before our very eyes when you see ministries like Youth with a Mission and it's uh, so encouraging to hear that uh, the Lord is using you in South Africa particularly among those AIDS orphans. You know, now there might be people listening, before we wrap up, you know, there might be people listening that have never really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you shared earlier about how you came to Christ in China, of all places, and uh, even though you've been through lots of disasters and, and troubles, uh, you've held on 
to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, you know, there might be people listening that need to hear the gospel right now. Would, would you share what is the gospel and how do people respond to it? Would you share that with our listeners? Yes, the gospel is that um, God wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us, just like he walked in the garden in the evenings with um, Adam and Eve, and he wants to, to have a personal part in our lives. And he has a wonderful plan for our lives. Even when our lives look as though they're totally messed up, even when we've done uh, terrible things with our lives, we've messed up our marriages and our families and so on, God never, ever gives up on us. And he wants us to come to him and um, ask him for forgiveness for what we have done and then ask him to take control of our lives. Um, he can do wonderful things with our lives. Um, I, had, I lost my husband, but God has given me a little foster daughter over in South Africa. She's four years old now. She actually had full-blown AIDS when I um, first got her. But I've been working with her for four years now, and God has restored a family to me. So God can do wonderful things in your life, in everybody's life, if only we will ask him for forgiveness and then ask him to lead us into that perfect plan that we have for, that he has for us. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And I just do want to encourage our listeners, if you would like to respond and maybe you'd like to give your heart to Jesus uh, or you'd like to uh, follow up and you know get in contact with Jen and uh, find out more about her story, uh, we'll have these uh, details available at historymakersradio.com. Just go to the website and we'd love to... Uh, uh, you can maybe send us an email or get in contact with us and, and we can pass on your details. Well, Jen, I reckon you're a history maker. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just go to historymakersradio.com. There you can download interviews, subscribe to the podcast, make a donation, find out about our YouTube channel, and maybe connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to historymakersradio.com for more. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ through conversation to the nations of the world. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Matt Prater. Why don't you go and make history? History Makers.